Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tightwad Tech, episode 118. We're still here. Recorded December 17th, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. This is, uh, we're recording it on the 17th, but this will actually be the last show of the year 2012. It shall be released on the 26th. And the title is because if you're listening to this show, the end of the world did not come, as some are saying. I'm so confident in that, that I went ahead and scheduled this for release. (laughs) You know, Mark, uh, NASA actually did a video as to why that whole end of the world stuff is is like scientifically uh, is is wrong. And they're talking about... Yes. Yeah, they're talking about how uh, some of the popular myths, you know, an asteroid's going to hit the Earth or something, and all these scientists are chiming in about how there's there's no near-Earth objects out there, and uh, how it's a light solar year, so the whole solar flare thing, uh, right. you know, uh, it, it was pretty interesting. Yeah, there's there's like this uh, convergence that's supposed to happen, where the, the center of the galaxy and the sun and the Earth all come into convergence uh, and that's supposed to be a big thing. So, you know, if, if that if that was a a big deal, you'd you'd look into how often does that happen. Turns out it happens right. every year on December twenty first. <laughs> Not a unique thing. The Mayans yes. ran out of space. There were lots of calendars throughout history that reset. They weren't good at long term long form math, so they would have so many years and they'd reset. And they thought, you know, this calendar is going to outlive our culture. Why should we worry about it? And you know what? They were right. The calendar outlived their culture. <laughs> we're not going to die, people. We're not going to die. <laughs> so by the time this show airs, uh, the uh, the presents will have been unwrapped. The tree will be uh, <laughs> dropping uh, pine needles left and right. Uh, it will be uh, the day after the day after Christmas. Everybody in the real world will be back at work, but not my friend John. He works for a school, so he'll still be off. Yes, yes. Uh, we uh, actually start a little bit early this year, so uh, we go back January 2nd. Um, so that's going to be a little odd, you know, being so close to the, the new year. Usually you still have a week at that point. Well, it depends. Uh, I, I've gone back January 2nd or 3rd many times. but uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, you were in the game much longer than I was. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. But I, um, I, have to, uh, I had to take some time off one of my vacation days for uh, Christmas Eve and uh, Christmas Day, and uh, I was denied New Year's Eve. So that's, uh, that's how things roll in the big corporate world. I'm, yes. I'm missing education right about now. Yeah, especially when you are uh, still relatively new in the game, you know, yes. kind of lower on the totem pole. That gets better as time goes on. Now, this uh, this is something that is fresh right now, but will be old by the time you hear this, and I'm not going to spend any time on it. I just want to say that uh, um, this past weekend, a disturbed man did an evil thing in Connecticut, and our hearts and prayers go out to those people. Uh, being an education-centered podcast, obviously, uh, we are in that community, and uh, when anything strikes the education community, it hurts us all, um, and that's all I'm going to say about that. We don't need to uh, make anybody uh, more famous over that than they already are. Yeah, and that that's kind of, you know, Mark and I talked about this before we went on air, and we really don't want to give it too much, too much time, but uh, the, that's kind of my angle is 
it just spurs on the next one. So, right. but let's move along. I have an intentionally avoided of intentionally avoided all news, uh, and not read blog entries and and not watch the news about it and and had pretty much to shut down Facebook because that's what every post is about. And uh, right. it's just there it, there is no edification from that. There's there there are no lessons to be learned. Uh, it was evil, and nothing more. So, moving on to something more interesting um, and less evil. Uh, Ray Kurzweil, a favorite yes. of, of both of ours, yes. um, has uh, he decided the singularity wasn't coming fast enough, so he <laughs> plugged himself into Google directly. Yeah, and he even references, I, I guess we're, I'm jumping ahead here. Uh, so yeah, the uh, the news is that Ray Kurzweil will be the new, uh, and my computer is locking up on me so I can't get back to the notes, but uh, something like engineer... Uh, Director engineering, director of engineering for Google, some, something of that nature, um, and he'll be focusing on machine intelligence and something like uh, voice recognition, which are you know his specialties, right? Uh, he right. Um, Kurzweil got his start. I, I don't remember the timeline. It was either this the uh, text to speech or the uh, uh, synthesizer. They yeah, were both was, right around the same time, right? Um, and Stevie Wonder was 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 one of his first clients for both. Uh, so right. he, he invented he didn't invent uh, the electric synthesizer, um, but he invented the Kurzweil electric synthesizer, with, which was a uh, the the first sort of solid state uh, way of doing it. Of course, uh, Moog had been doing it before that, but that's how he really made his money. And then he went into text to speech and uh, made the first reader for the blind. Uh, something right, that, and that, it literally could identify text on a regular written, standard written page. Right. And, and it was it was quote unquote portable. It was only about a foot uh, tall. Uh, <laughs> and uh, but uh, yeah. for for a blind man in the the late seventies or early eighties, it was it really opened up a whole world of print that didn't exist before. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and uh, if you haven't had a chance, I own his book. The singularity is near, and you know warning that that book gets on the extreme geeky side and if you if you don't know you know if you if you can't wrap your mind around some of the enormous numbers that he uh he spews throughout that book uh it may not be for you but uh it's just amazing to you know when you get a look into his mind and and how far ahead he has looked uh you know people will debate back and forth as to whether uh, he's crazy or not, right? You know, well, and- about about twelve, ten, ten to twelve years ago, uh, he made a preposterous uh, prediction. He said, "Within the next ten years, we'll be talking to our phones and asking them questions, and they'll be talking back the answers." Ridiculous! Who's ever heard of that? Yeah, and he also did, made the ridiculous prediction that we would have cars that drive themselves. Yes, and uh, yeah, the man clearly is a crackpot. Right, right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and again, if you're not familiar with his work, you know, right now or or here recently, you know, his big push has been uh, talking about how, uh, you know, the growth of technology is exponential. And uh, and so he carries that out 10, 20, 50, 100 years into the future. And uh, when he does it, it's it's mind boggling, and I think that's where you know he's starting to get labeled by some as a crackpot because some of the predictions he makes are so far out there. But uh, 
But again, if you read his book, uh, there's a lot of thought that goes into those predictions. Yeah. So at the very least, it, it just opens your mind up to what the possibilities are, uh, whether that stuff all comes true or not, you know, is, is still in question, but it, it's pretty amazing stuff. So I think it's a perfect fit for him to go to a company like Google. Yeah. And, and if only if he's nothing more than a figurehead, you know, he will inspire, uh, the employees there at, at Google to, uh, to think, uh, big, uh, but I don't think, I don't think he is interested in being a figure. I don't think he would have taken the job unless he thought that good things were good. Cause he doesn't need money and he certainly doesn't need, uh, he's, he's, a, uh, in his late sixties, I think. Uh, so, uh, there's, there's, there's no, there's no reason he would have to take a job. It's not like he's looking for a paycheck. The man is a millionaire many times over. So he was, he took this job because he thought it would be interesting and would uh, fa- uh, further his goals. He's he's looking for that time. He he uh, is big into saying that he just wants to live long enough for to be able to download his consciousness into a digital format. And he thinks that'll happen in the next couple of decades. And like I said, he's you know he's he's uh, an older man, and uh, so he's trying to to make it to tr- to prolong his body. And he's he's famous for taking. Uh, dozens to hundreds of vitamins right. uh, in a in a day, and uh, you know, popping them every few minutes. And he's got an extreme uh, diet and exercise program, but uh, um, you know, it works. He looks younger than he is, um, and he's just trying to uh, just trying to make it that far. And I think maybe uh, he's trying to speed things along a little bit at Google. Yeah, you know, that's one. Uh, you know, Mark, I saw a. Uh I don't know that it was a maybe it was a documentary about him, but uh, it showed him at a some sort of White House function, some sort of White House social event, and he was there. And uh, all along, he's popping pills like every ten minutes or something. (laughs) But again, yeah, I mean, it's amazing because he does. He actually looks a little bit younger than he did ten years ago. It's like he hasn't aged in a decade, and uh, so I'm thinking he's missing out on his next multi-millions uh he could put it out the kurtzweil uh, diet and exercise plan and probably make another boatload of money but nobody would ever do it it is so extreme i mean well you know. most people probably couldn't afford the you know hundreds of dollars <laughs> worth of pills you have to take every day <laughs> that's a good point that's a good yeah. point uh so i'm looking forward to great things out of uh, uh kurtzweil and and google um and it just it can only be uh fascinating to sit back and watch and see what's going to happen director of engineering you know engineering is that's what he does man and and if he can take the the kids the kids they're kids at google right now they're just out of college many of them and so he can take those 20 somethings and inspire them to use their genius in the way he used his genius oh it's going to be an amazing thing absolutely i agree i wish i were one quarter as smart as as he is I wouldn't mind having one quarter of his money either. Yeah, right. Absolutely. All right. So, Mark, when uh, when I was working on these show notes, I actually thought about saying something like calling the show uh, the show title something along the lines of uh, "Holiday Pie," <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't really, I, I didn't intend for it to be uh, revolved so much around uh, this particular product, but. Uh, I really got into it today for some reason. I'm talking about the Raspberry Pi. Um, and I I've never heard talk- of this thing, Sean. What is a Raspberry oh, Pi? Tell me about it. Uh, well, there's some things that actually surprised me. I don't know. We talked about the Raspberry Pi when they like 
before they even first released it, right? It's a year and a half ago, maybe. Right. Something like that. And uh, hey, Sean, you might want to mute your phone there. Yeah, I might want to. Do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> you heard that. Uh. I did. the uh, The Samsung S three is a a very chatty phone and b a very loud phone. Yes, it is, and it works great when you're trying to watch a movie or something. But uh, yeah. Uh, it actually has this little, uh, when you get notifications, it's kind of this whistle, you know, that it right. does at you. And, uh, yeah, when and I, I hear that it, all the time because that's my wife's Facebook tone. And that's what oh, she does okay. with her phone is Facebook. Yeah. And so I, you know, when I first heard it, I was like, oh, that's horrible. But for some reason, it grows on you very quickly. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, anyway. Um so back to the Raspberry Pi. One, uh, Mark, I, I want to say when I was, uh, because there's some news uh, revolving around the Raspberry Pi, but first, before I get into that, I wanted to say, uh, you know, it first came out, it had uh, 256 uh, megs of RAM, and uh, that's up to 512 now, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, they doubled it. They actually doubled it before they ever produced it. They they were pre-selling at 512, and then when they actually went to production, they said, you know, for this amount of money, we can double the RAM. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. So that, that caught me off guard. Just, and I, I was actually thinking of, because I've always I've wanted to get one, but kind of have a problem with paying for something and not knowing when you're going to get it. And that's just the case. And it's still the case because today in doing the show notes, it got me so amped up on, on wanting to get one and play around with it again that uh, I was going to go ahead and order one. I figured surely there's no backlog anymore. Uh, there still is a backlog. And they pretty much tell you, you know, it, it'll come in whenever we can, you know, meet the supply or the demand. Well, the way they're working that is they're, they're pre, pre-ordering. They're they're you know because they're so cheap and because this isn't a multi-million dollar company they're taking orders and then when they get enough orders enough cash in hand to do a run they do a run and right. so there, there's there's never going to be or at least not in the near future going to be stock on hand that's not how they're running this project the thing is what 25 bucks for the standard model 35 if you want wi-fi um, it looked like it was 35 for the standard, uh, the Wi-Fi is actually, at least from what I looked at today, the Wi-Fi is like an extra module that you, okay. that you can buy. But the, the, the base, uh, board itself is, is 35 now, um, still very reasonable. Um, and the reason that it's back in the news is they now have an app store for the Raspberry Pi. Um, so, and there's actually a couple of news items, although one of them, uh, is a little bit older. Uh, we missed it somehow, but, um, uh, but yeah, they have an app store. It only has like 40 apps right now, but, uh, people can, you know, develop apps and then post it to the app store. And just like the, uh, the Apple app store, or, uh, you know, Google play, uh, you know, you can post your app up there for free or you can charge for it, uh, you know, uh, whatever you want to do. Um, so it's neat that it's it's starting to build this sort of ecosystem around it. Um, there's certainly a passionate following for the Raspberry Pi. Uh, the reason I wanted to get one, Mark, is, you know, uh, and as any listener of the show knows, is I get all of my, uh, you know, all of my media streaming over the Internet. And to do that, I have a laptop hooked up to a projector. Now, the problem is, is that laptop, 
I like that laptop and it's my primary laptop and you know I also use it to do work on and stuff so I'm always having to like unhook it if I need to do work on it or whatever and then hook it back up when I want to watch something so it, that's been a little bit frustrating and I thought this is the perfect answer so I can get one of these and basically just make it my my media device and that's exactly you know what it's sort of uh, designed to do it's got hdmi built right in and uh hardware optimized uh, uh divx encoding and all that good stuff right uh, yeah as a matter of fact i mean if you watch any videos on it i mean that's what they really push is that the graphics uh engine is so is so powerful that you know they're they're designing it for uh you know watching hd video and 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 gaming um, so, uh, and, and, you know, now that we've talked about it again, I probably will go ahead and tomorrow, uh, get one ordered. Um, I might even do two though. Cause I know one I want to do for that, but I want to have one to just like tinker on. If that yeah. makes any sense. I've seen, uh, the, if you Google raspberry Pi case, there are people who are making fancy cases, but I've also, my favorite one was made out of an Altoids tin. Oh yeah, yeah. Or uh, and this is a popular one too, is to make one out of Legos. So <laughs> yeah, I've seen the Lego ones. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, now, uh, other news that actually came out a couple of months ago is that they are working on an Android uh, porting Android uh, ice cream sandwich uh, for the Raspberry Pi. So that could be kind of cool too. Yeah. Uh, now, that, like I said, I found a news article from a couple months ago that said they're working on it. Uh, they do have a, a blog. Uh, Raspberry Pi has a blog where it's mentioned briefly, but there hasn't really been anything posted recently. So I'm wondering if they're still working on that. I kind of hope, I'm kind of hoping that they are. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, as far as I know, it's a very uh, active uh, program right now to put uh, uh, Android on the Raspberry because it's an ARM chip. You know, it's not uh, it's not a difficult sort of thing. There are already Linux uh, Linuxes that run on it right out of the box. Uh, right. So I think it I think it comes with no OS on it, but you can download the OS. I can't remember the spe specifics. Uh, uh, well, the site that I went to, and they have three like distributors, I guess authorized uh, distributors for it, and uh, they all had a because it has an SD card slot, so you can. Uh, you can order an SD card, a four gig SD card that already has the uh, operating system installed. Yeah, there you go. So that, that's uh, what I thought because the yeah the Pi itself doesn't have one; it's just the hardware. But right. The resellers are putting you know you put a, a four gig SD card with you know Ubuntu on it, and you're good to go. Right, right, and uh, I think it's Debian that they are uh, preloading uh, those with that that. I'm looking in the notes here. I can't see. Uh, I can't find it. But I'm pretty sure it was Debian. That sounds right to me. And and you know, who who's going to look it up? Our audience is too lazy to look it up. Right. <laughs> well, and, you know, and it also. Uh, and I'm trying to put. And maybe this is a twist to try and go ahead and fit it into my my school budget. But um, I recently had a uh, have a student with uh, Aspergers. Uh, but high functioning and they are wanting to uh, as they sometimes do is I'll, I might get a student kind of assigned to me for a period a day um, maybe somebody uh, who's kind of technologically inclined and you know they're kind of 
maybe hoping that they'll see some value in in working with tech and and maybe kind of get them remotivated. Uh, I guess is the best thing I can say. I'm kind of reaching for the explanation, but um, so I have Men- one- mentor groups or mentoring. It's you know very common yeah. in high schools. Yeah, and uh, so you know, a kid has uh, Asperger's, but he's he's bright, and uh, apparently, uh, from what I hear, he, uh, you know, given any free time at all, all he wants to do is play video games. So I thought, well, if I get my hands on one of these things, and maybe can you know, because he seems to be geared that way, is that maybe I can get my hands on one of these things and maybe turn him towards some basic programming. And uh, maybe, you know, that'll get him running. Um, and I've got to imagine that the education world out there is just rife with these students. You know, the, the somewhat withdrawn but very intelligent kids that, uh, you know, like to spend too much time on the computer. Uh, and so I think this is just the, that perfect type of device. I think if you put it in the hands of the right kid, uh, it's going to open up a whole new world for him. Yeah, and the the price is so low that you yeah, can I literally mean, give these things away. Right, right. Or you could, you know, if you had a class, if you were teaching technology, if you had a class of 15 or 20 kids, uh, you know, certainly I would think that would be in the budget, right? Yeah. Um, maybe not for every school, but, I mean, it is it is that low price that uh, it it opens up a lot of new possibilities. So I thought it was worth revisiting, especially with the with the news of – the app store so it's it's becoming that thing now and i actually even thought of this mark because you know uh you have small children i have small children uh, mine love playing on my cell phone and while that's great i love the fact that they love technology i hate the fact that they like to play on my phone <laughs> <laughs> so i have in the past like i gave my daughter uh an old cell phone of mine and uh, that was great. She loved to play on it and everything until the first time she dialed nine one one, and we had police show up at the door. So, which you th- can do even without a SIM card. Right, right. Yeah, I found that out because I thought I was being slick by pulling the SIM card out. Uh, but no, you still can dial nine one one with the SIM card pulled. So, I uh, found that one out the hard way. And uh, uh, but I thought you know this is yet another example of maybe how you could. Um, you know, maybe makes even a toy for a child, you know, for a young child. I imagine if you can get your hands on a, uh, a relatively small, cheap display, you could somehow, uh, wire it in. And, uh, and then with, you know, especially if it was Android, if you, if you can put Android on it, um, then it opens up that and essentially you accomplish the same thing as a cell phone. Um, but you know, for much cheaper, and uh, you don't have to worry about whether or not it can make phone calls. That's uh, I, I've purchased for for my two children for Christmas cheap tablets with no phone capabilities. Uh, but I did make sure I set them up with Google Voice accounts so they could text. So it's the best of both worlds. They can still text their friends because that's how kids communicate these days. Right. My ten year old talking to another ten year old on speakerphone. The other ten year old said, "Let's hang up and text." So that's what they did. <laughs> right. that's, that they'd rather text than talk. So, yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's a good solution. It's cheap tablet. Um, but yeah, the Raspberry Pi, if you really want to get geeky about it, if you get a kid, if you want to inspire them into building their own, I mean, your daughter's a little young for that. Uh, right. But if you, if you got a um, a preteen probably or a teenager, then yeah. Eight, ten years old is probably the earliest. 
and then and then yeah, on up from there. Um, yeah, you yeah. give a you give a twelve year old, particularly a twelve year old boy who's into you know geekery. Um, you give him a box a, a, a box of parts, including uh, a Raspberry Pi and a power adapter and a SIM card, and say knock yourself out. Uh, I mean that's that's hours of fun and productive fun at that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If, if you're the right type of person. Yeah, and uh, you know, I I see that like depending on your age range because there's all kinds of add-on modules. I mean, you can do uh, I think you can add on like IR type stuff and uh, uh, RF and you know all these different modules and Wi-Fi and everything else. And uh, so, de- like you said, depending on how geeky you want to get with it. Uh, you can build just about any kind of, uh, you know, basic electronic device. I mean, you could probably make up some things that haven't been invented yet, really, you know, just functionally. Um, it's, it's kind it, of the modern equivalent of the old chemistry set that we right. used to get. Right. Yeah, or the old erector sets or anything yeah. like that. I had one of those. I don't know if, if it was, uh, if everybody knows what I'm talking about. It was uh, Radio Shack sold them. They were little project kits. They had... Uh, resistors and capacitors and, and integrated circuits on a board and they came with and, and little spring connectors and they came with wires and an instruction and put a, a red wire between uh, point one and point B and you could build your own devices. Uh, and they, they were right. simple things like, uh, you know, you, uh, one of them was uh, like a Morse code generator. You push a button and it beeped. It was, it was very simple like that. But or once a I had... video or something. Right. Once I had run through all of the the stuff in the book, I started experimenting with it. You know, and and playing around and and seeing what happened. What happened if I connected this to that? And you know, I fried a couple of circuits. But um, at one point, I created a solar-powered alarm clock. Yes, that's how big a geek I was. I was about nine or ten years old, and I I realized that every morning when it was time for me to wake up, um, the sun was at a particular point in my room. So uh, this thing was had solar cells on it, and it had a little speaker. So I wired it up so that when the solar so the sun hits the solar cell, the speaker would beep. And I placed it uh, in my room, and and I f- tracked it around the year as the sun moved. Um, I would always I would have it you know uh, later in the year when it was winter and I was getting up before dark. That didn't work, but for about six months out of the year, that was my alarm clock. And I would just place it so that when the sun came up, it would hit that solar cell and it would wake me up, unless it was raining or cloudy or anything. But still. You know, I thought it was the ultimate in cool. That <laughs> well, that is pretty cool. <laughs> wow, yeah, yeah. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't get the, the the geek bug until much later. <laughs> yeah, well, you were a jock out playing football with your That's boys, true. and yeah, talking about shaving and and stuff. And that that wasn't yeah. me. Chasing skirts. <laughs> All right. Well, so moving on from there, our show tonight was suggested by a listener named john and uh he sent us this email a while back and probably thinks we ignored it uh because it's been sitting in my inbox for months uh but as soon as i saw it i thought this is a great end of the year show and this is our last show of uh 2012 uh, i thought we were great uh, john uh, writes in and says why not do a show of all the applications that you've you've mentioned or me- used or mentioned on the show windows linux open source etc i remember when pc magazine used to come out with their greatest apps magazine I always bought that magazine, if, even if not for the rest of the year. Um, or maybe you could pick a topic of deployment or apps or, or uh, uh, projects like uh, uh, Ghost for Linux or Fog, and etc. And then he signs it, Nerd for a Long While, John. 
So we're going to take John's advice here, and uh, we're just going to do a top 10 rundown. I've got five things. Uh, Sean, hopefully by the end of the show, we'll have five things. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and we're just going to go through, and we're going to do round robin. I'll go, and then he'll go, and he'll go. And so between us, we'll have the top 10 uh, uh, tools. None of these are new. We've talked about all of them before on the show, not necessarily this year, some of them uh, in years past, uh, but uh, they're things that we're using every day and that we consider uh, indispensable little tools. Uh, so there you go. That you get what you pay for. If you're not if you're not interested in that, you know, fast forward on and and go have some more eggnog. But uh, uh, again, none of this is new. And if you've been following along, it may be old hat, and you may think this is boring. But uh, like John said, there is some value to uh, uh, wrapping up these things and sort of reendorsing it. And and you know, uh, here we go. My well, first one. Oh, go ahead, John. Well, I was going to say we always have new listeners too. So uh, if you started listening to to the show in the last year, you know maybe you didn't hear uh, last year's version. And just looking down the list, I see that we have some new things on here anyway. Uh, so the the list is different than it was last year. And that's a good thing, variety. Uh, so anyway, my first one is a tool that uh, I, I liked before, but when I changed jobs, I loved it. And, and let me tell you why. I moved, as I mentioned earlier, from the education environment to the corporate world, which is much more restrictive. And I don't have the ability to do some of the things I used to do. Um, and so screenshotting is so sometimes the only way I can get information from one thing to another because th things are locked down and I can't copy and paste or I can't do something like that. Um, so I need a tool that I could screenshot with that's better than hitting print screen on Windows and pasting it into a Word document. And one of my go-to tools for this for a long time has been GreenShot. Um, GreenShot.org. Um, for some reason, they call it uh, a, um, a green as an eco-friendly screenshot tool. I don't really see how a screenshot tool can be eco-friendly. Well, I guess better than uh, printing a page and handing it to somebody. I guess that's what it is. I swear, one of my coworkers, I think she has stock in Georgia Pacific Paper and Xerox because she will print everything. Like if if she needs one one sentence, she will print a ten page document and and hand it to me with that one sentence underlined. Um, okay. People like that confuse me, uh, but anyway, uh, Greenshot, uh, which there will be a link in the show notes, but it's uh, Greenshot dot org, uh, is a simple, powerful. A little um, screenshotting tool, and so when you it it takes over from the uh, the screenshot um, built into Windows, the print screen. So when you hit print screen, it pops up a little crosshairs on your screen. You select the area that you want, and then it pops it up in a window. And from there, you can annotate, you can add um, circles and highlights, you can obfuscate. Like if it's a uh, something with personal information, you could block it out or blur it out. Uh, you can crop it, you can paste it to your your clipboard and paste it anywhere else, or you can save it as any number of formats. Uh, you can even email it directly from GreenShot. It's so small uh, that uh, it's it's not quite a portable app, but it's really close. In my corporate environment where the Active Directory doesn't allow me to install things for the most part, I was able to install GreenShot. So it just sits there in the corner, in, in the task tray. You never think about it until you need it. You hit print screen and you get the little crosshairs and magic happens. Uh, you can even put in a cursor to the, a mock cursor to to what you're pointing at, 
Uh, it's it's got all kinds of great tools. You can you can add text and and overlays and insert other images and combine multiple images. Uh, a great little tool that uses almost no system resources. You don't even know it's there until you need it, and it's perfectly free. So that's my first pick for the year. All right. All right. Well, uh, Mark, I know uh, in the show notes, I'm not going to move top to bottom on my list. I'm just going to kind of grab one and go. Uh, I'm going to start off with OpenFire. And uh, I guess uh, what we would call it uh, Spark, right? The the Uh, chat client? Spark is the client part of it. Right. So uh, it's basically, it's just an internal, it's your own little chat server. now, uh, Mark, I, I, I know you don't know this, but I don't know. Within the last couple of months, I had actually had the thought of getting rid of my open fire server and spark within the district. And uh, because we're since we're a Google school, uh, when you're in Gmail, you are you have a chat client built into Gmail, right? Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, why are we still using Spark? Why are we still, you know, it's something you know you have to log on to and stuff. And uh, it just seemed like it was duplicitous. And you know, some people would would uh, you know send me a message through the the Google Chat client, and other ones would through Spark. So it seemed like double work. And then the more I got to thinking about it, I actually thought about the fact that uh, you know, given there are some emergency type situations where uh, maybe you wouldn't have internet access. Exactly. So maybe you have uh, your internal network is working fine and you need a way to be able to communicate with people and uh, uh, particularly, uh, you know, some emergency type situations you may need to do so discreetly or uh, or whatever. And so it's an avenue of communication that you want to have available to you. Uh, so as I got to thinking, I mean, that's basically what made me keep it around. And uh, I didn't want to get rid of it because of the functionality because it actually works really great. Uh, uh, you know, I don't think I need to go into any too, you know, great detail. You see a list of your contacts inside the organization and you can group them, uh, you know, according to department or in our case, uh, campus and, uh, just pull somebody up and click on them and, and send them a quick, uh, chat message. Uh, so it's great. Uh, there's a open fire server that you set up, but it's dead easy. And, uh, then there's a client side application that you install on the, uh, the client machines and it just works and it still just works. And it doesn't have to be their client. It's XMPP. So any client, including Google chat, uh, will work right with it and you can tie it in with other networks. Uh, one of the things I liked about it was uh, I probably should have showed you this before I left is it's got a management back in where every conversation is logged. So you can go back and, and read those logs, uh, you know, which is great for legal purposes for documentation. Uh, but also it, uh, it will store a message if you're offline, Google chat. I don't know if it does that. It may send it as an email. I don't remember. Uh, but uh when somebody comes online, they'll get it. They can be online multiple places and see it. It's a great little tool. It's a Java-based app, so it's cross-platform. I've got it running on a Linux server, but you could run it on Windows. Uh, you wouldn't even need to be a server, just a, a, a you know an XP box you got over there. Uh, right. Or you could run it on a Mac, anything that'll run Java. So, yeah, great tool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I, that management backend, Mark, I did actually stumble on that because they were asking me to – make some adjustments to the groups and uh, things of that nature. 
so I just did some poking around and found it. So, <laughs> Well, the way I've got it set up there is it's tied into the Active Directory group. So when you put somebody in an Active Directory group, they appear just automatically, yeah. and which is, yeah. is a great thing. Yeah, and it took me a while to figure that out. I kind of, I kind of figured that's how it was, and I had to poke around a little bit to figure out exactly how it worked. But uh, I mean, that's one of the beautiful things about it is it's really not that difficult, right? You know, and and you know, if you if you've got just a a little bit of uh, resourcefulness, you can easily figure out uh, Open Fire and Spark. Uh, and then my next tool is Virtual Win. Uh, and this is because I come from the Linux world. I use Linux a lot, and it's uh, very common, almost standard in Linux, to have multiple virtual desktops. So uh, it's you you click you have your apps and your things open on one desktop. You click to another desktop, and basically all it does is hide those windows and let you open new windows. Uh, and you can have multiple workstations, uh, workspaces, and I love doing that. Um, like if I'm in the middle of researching something, I'll have all my my research tabs open. Uh, on one uh, desktop, and then I'll have my like email and calendar open on another one, so I can just uh, with uh, in my case I have a setup where Alt and then arrow uh, hold the Alt key and arrow to the the left, right, up or down, and it uh, so it moves me to that thing. So with one quick uh, swipe, I can move to the next thing, which is great in my my current job. So I I might have you know a two thousand page PDF document that I'm searching through. And I'm communicating with somebody else, and I'm looking things up on the web all at the same time. And rather than constantly minimizing windows uh, and moving things, I just hold the Alt key and move my mouse down, and boom, there's all the stuff on that window. Then I hold my Alt key and move it over to the right, and there's all the stuff on that window. And it's also a great boss key. So you've got your, your porn on one desktop, and when he walks, no, I didn't say that. Um, but it's just a handy little tool in, 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 in the abstract. Listening to it now, you might think, well, that doesn't sound very handy. But once you install it and start using it, you will never want to be without it again. Uh, VirtuaWin.SourceForge.net, free, open source, uh, in this case, obviously for Windows, because uh, Mac uh, or uh, uh, Linux doesn't need it. And I don't know if Mac has a version or not. Okay. Well, uh, Mark, along those same lines of uh, can't live without, and I know we've mentioned this uh, in the past on the show. Certainly, it was a, a tip of the week, and I think we've probably mentioned it a couple of times along the way. But uh, can't leave out cat mouse. No, you can't. Right. I mean, I I can't stand a computer that does not have cat mouse on it, and, and I, I can't figure out why uh, Microsoft. And I, quite honestly, I'm not sure if a Mac does this or not i guess you have multi-finger gestures that kind of maybe accomplish the same thing but uh cat mouse is a very very tiny program that you install and basically all it does is it makes your cursor whatever your cursor is over it kind of makes that area active uh, now what this accomplishes is you don't have to click on something to make the scrollable area scrollable so, uh, you know, you just simply hover over a little area, you know, maybe it's a, a browser or it's a document that's got a, a scroll bar on it. Um, but as you go back and forth, if you're multitasking, as you go back and forth, you don't have to click on the item to activate it and then scroll. Uh, this sounds insignificant until you actually experience it. Right. 
And once you have it in place and you can just seamlessly go from one window or uh, one application to another and easily scroll without having to do that extra click, that extra click, uh, I guess we just don't realize that we probably do it hundreds if not thousands of times a day without cat mouse. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I can't stand a machine that doesn't have it. Yeah, if you've got windows cascading on top of other windows or if you've got multiple monitors, that's something I run into all the time. I'll start typing over here. Because I think that's where the the uh, the focus is, but it's really right. not. It's over here because that's where I clicked last. Uh, so yeah, Cat Mouse is uh, is a great tool uh, for that. It just it makes wherever you are the focus. It doesn't bring it to the front, so that's the cool right. thing about it. Something can still be have other windows on top of it, and you can scroll. Yeah, yeah, that's the beautiful thing. Yeah, you can have them like you said, it's sort of cascaded, and one window sort of partially obscuring the other one but you still see that scrollable area well you can just go right over roll right over it and, and scroll without even having to click on it and maybe mess up your order you know if you have those windows laid out in a, in a certain way for a reason uh yeah so uh let's see uh the just google it k-a-t-m-o-u-s-e <laughs> or go to our show notes and it'll be there when we post it right uh, and my next one on the list is WinSCP. Now, this is only valuable to you if you're a server person or, or interact with servers, but it is the, in my opinion, best multi-purpose client for remote access ever. Uh, yes. It's an SCP, uh, which stands for Secure Communication Protocol. Uh, that's uh, sort of like FTP, but encrypted. But it also does FTP, and it does SFTP, and it does think maybe tftp it does all sorts of different protocols basically if there's a server out there you can connect to win scp will let you connect to it and it's a it's a super dirt simple thing it's just a, a basically an explorer window in windows it just looks like a a regular uh, window that connects to your remote uh session and then you can uh, uh drag things on uh back and forth and and it's it's fast and efficient and uh, has background threading and all that sort of stuff. And it, but it, what I like about it is it's super versatile and easy to use. And when if you pair it with Putty, P-U-T-T-Y, which is a Windows-based SSH terminal thing, then you can run SSH commands on a Linux machine from your GUI. So if you need to do that, which I do all the time, like when I'm, uh, that's how I interact with the Element OP servers. When I want to push something up or move something around, I don't log into an interface or I don't do anything. I, I, pull, I pull up SCP, I, I log it there, uh, click on the, the profile for this server, and you can have, I've never found a limit to it. I've never hit it. Many, many different servers, and it'll store your passwords or not, depending on uh, whether you're uh, a tinfoil hat about that. Right. You click on it, you're connected, boom. Uh, you can even open multiple sessions of SCP and copy stuff back and forth between servers. It's not the best way to do things, but you can do it if you need to. So, SCP, winscp.net. Uh, uh, I highly recommend that handy tool. Yeah, and you know, I'm I've been a fan of that one for a long time too, and I have to say Mark, thank you for installing it on on our servers, at least our servers that have to uh interact with other servers uh, because it's dead easy to use, and uh, I actually have a because it's portable. Also, you can put it on a pen drive, um, but you have to be careful with that for security reasons. Yeah, because you might store the password and then lose your pen drive, and that would be bad. Right, and then yeah, whoever fought, you know comes across it could uh, potentially have access to. Don't store your passwords in that in a portable version. Right. Right. 
All right. Uh, I'm going to jump on to the next one. And we've actually received uh, several bits of positive feedback uh, for uh, thanking us for turning people on to this. And that's uh, LastPass. Uh, and uh, we can only take credit in the fact that maybe you might have heard it from us, but uh, we actually heard it from another podcast, and that's uh, uh, Security Now. Uh, Steve Gibson uh, was pushing this heavily. He uses it. Um, one, and the reason that we endorse LastPass so much, we don't get a penny from them, unfortunately. In fact, we pay them. <laughs> we both pay them. Yeah, actually, yeah, we do. We both pay. There's a free version, uh, which is very robust. We are happy to pay for the full version, which I think is $12 a year, right? dollar a month? Yes. And uh, uh, basically that dollar, that extra dollar, uh, you basically get the full functionality of LastPass uh, for free. So there's no reason not to go try it out. Uh, but uh, for the extra dollar a month, you also get like uh, offline access uh, to your passwords, which... Uh, once you start to use the tool, it becomes more and more important. Uh, you know, once you have several hundred passwords that you need to keep up with, and uh, you know they have uh, Android, iOS versions. I mean, any device that you have, uh, you can have LastPass on. They have browser plugins. Um, what I love, Mark, and for a large portion of my sites is, you know, you can store your password, but if you have the browser plugin turned on, you can tell it to automatically log you into a site. Absolutely. And I love that functionality because some of these sites, it's just, I, you know, I really don't care. I just want to go there and it logs me in and uh, that's what LastPass accomplishes. So uh, just password entry has cut down significantly for me. Um, Plus, it has a password generator, so when you're setting up a new account, it comes up and offers to generate an account, a password, so you move the sliders around and say, I want it to be eight characters long, I want it to have special characters and numbers and multiple case, and uh, and you just pick your options, it spits out gibberish, and then copy, you click accept, it then takes that and pastes it right into the website where you need it, and then stores it in your LastPass vault. You literally never see it, you have no idea what the password is. But it's secured, and you can look it up if you need to in the vault. But most of the time, you never need to because LastPass is doing it for you. Right. And another thing to point out here is, uh, and you just have to take our word on it or listen to Steve Gibson talk about it in detail, uh, but the man is a security genius. Uh, he is one of the great minds in, in uh, uh, computer security. And he will tell you it is the most secure one out there. Uh, and there's no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, if you have to hear all the details why, I encourage you to go and listen to uh, his episode or two on uh, on LastPass security. Uh, but, you know, that's a problem out there, Mark. And uh, Apple, the Apple community is, is real problematic with that. And uh, that there's tons of password-keeping software out there. But uh, the back end is really not as secure as people would think it is. But there is a last pass for Mac, so you can. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like I said, any any device that you can have, LastPass has a version for. So uh, most secure and uh, just awesomely powerful, uh, even in the free version. But you know, once you see what these guys have put together, and of course, just having access to your passwords, even if you're offline, uh, is beneficial. It's worth the $12 a year, uh, many times over, actually. Yes. My next tool that uh, that I am going to rep recommend, every geek here already knows about it. But maybe there's somebody out there that doesn't. Maybe your aunt or uncle 
has never heard of it. Dropbox. Dropbox <laughs> is a very simple, very powerful thing. It it it's a it takes a section of your hard drive to put stuff in a folder uh, where you can put it at your desktop, whatever. It mirrors that up to the cloud and mirrors it everywhere else that you have Dropbox installed. So uh, that's how I copy uh, all of my. Uh, files around for the podcast. Uh, again, they're not paying us. I'm paying them. I have the $100 a year uh, version of it for 100 gigs. Uh, well worth it. Um, and I, I I put everything there. It's Once you put it up there, once it uploads to Dropbox, uh, they have it on their site. You can, even if you delete it from your computer, you can restore it from their website. And I don't think the archive, I've never found an end of the archive. I've gone back months and 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 pulled back an old one. It's browsable on the web, so anything that you have in your Dropbox, you can browse from anywhere else in the world. Even if Dropbox isn't installed, just go to Dropbox.com, log into your account, your stuff is there. You can share things. Uh, it's one of the easiest way to share large files back and forth. You just throw something up to Dropbox, create a link, and send that link to somebody, and they get to that file and that file only, not the rest of your Dropbox. Um, you can make, you can, there's a public folder where you can put things in there and make them publicly available so that you don't have to share a specific link, just a link to a folder. It's a great tool. I really love it. Um, and if you, it, I'm sure everybody out here who is, who, uh, wants to use it, uh, is, is already using it, but I had to throw it out there just in case, just in case there's a one person out there who hasn't heard about it. Right. Absolutely. Well, and I, I think just the fact that, like we said, this show, we're talking about the things we use daily. Uh, so yeah, I mean, surely, uh, most people have probably heard of it, but I mean, on this list, it, it absolutely belongs. Yeah. And, uh, just to address the security that doesn't encrypt your stuff, you know, now your, your account is hidden behind a password, right? But the, the data itself is stored unencrypted. Uh, so, um, I don't ever put anything on Dropbox that I wouldn't share anyway, you know, uh, but you know, it's, that you wouldn't mind being subpoenaed, right? Because what what would happen is, yeah, yeah. If if need be, Dropbox can can access your files for you, uh, which is how the the whole website thing works. If it was uh, encrypted, uh, it wouldn't work as uh, in the same manner. So uh, it's not a super secure thing. It is. I'm not saying it's insecure. There's standard HTTPS encryption for your login, but the data itself is stored on a server in an unencrypted format. So you know, take that as it is. Right. All right. I am going to jump in here. Mark, you know, I am a tab junkie, right? You are uh, indeed. Yeah. And anybody, it's funny the my assistant now, um, I don't know. It, it took him less than a month of working with me to, to realize, wow, you have a lot of tabs open. <laughs> and, uh, now we're talking about the browser, right? And it's not unusual for me to have anywhere between 50 and 100 tabs open at any given time. Um, I mean, I can completely close my browser down and start it back up new and fresh in the morning. And by noon, I have 50 to 100 tabs open. It's just the way I work. Uh, so when this, when I found out about this next tool, I knew I was going to love it. Uh, and I'm talking about Clover. Uh, what Clover does is give you tabbed functionality in uh, uh, Windows Explorer, essentially. So, you know, when you want to go to computer and, you know, we at, at, uh, at my district, we have a number of network drives and things like that that I need to access. And it's funny, you just find yourself over time. Uh, and again, uh, it's just the way that I work, but 
you know, I go to this directory for some information and this directory for some other stuff. Um, what's really neat about Clover, and I didn't think of up front, but, you know, there might be four or five uh, file directories that I, I hit most frequently, you know, that most of my information's in that I need to work with. Uh, Clover makes it really nice. It's just, for me, much simpler to copy and paste items uh, back and forth or even drag and drop them uh, because you have these, rather than being in separate windows and you're having to pull them up and maybe rearrange them in some way, uh, it's just all in one window and you just tab to the directory you want and uh, move files back and forth or maybe very quickly uh, the, the quick switching is, is very nice. So if you are like me and you're a tab junkie and you, you like to uh, work that way, uh, Clover is a must-have. That was the big find for me this, this past year, um, and it's the new one that I, I just can't live without. All right, and I, I've never used Clover because, you know, it, it's just not the way – it doesn't appeal to me. Uh, but if you're a tab guy and, – and see, I don't – I use tabs, but I also use multiple browsers. So I might have uh, – um, one browser open with three or four tabs in it on a particular topic, and then another browser with three or four tabs on it on another topic. Sean just throws everything in his one mega one well, one browser to rule them all. Well, no, actually, I work a little bit differently now, Mark, because uh, again, you know this, Mark. In education, uh, the education world likes to buy crappy software, uh, expensive ex crappy software, expensive cloud-based crappy software. That only works in Internet Explorer 6. Uh, <laughs> so I always find myself having to have one instance of Internet Explorer open. Uh, but then I also uh, have two instances of Google Chrome open now uh, because, uh, you know, sometime this past year, Google uh, enabled, like, profiles. Uh, so you could be signed in as under one profile so i have one instance of chrome open under my school account and then one instance of chrome open under my private account and uh, so i'm typically running those three browsers at the same time and that's kind of how i get to my hundred so across those three uh, i may have five tabs open in internet explorer and then another you know 40 or 50 in each instance of chrome so <laughs> uh yeah still still very much a tab junkie though so uh, I, I know that's not everybody, but if you are a tab junkie, uh, check out Clover. It's a must-have. And my next tool uh, really solves a problem when you're having that problem. Uh, TerraCopy uh, is a Windows-based tool that um, speeds up copying from one Windows share to another minimally. It, it does. It, but that's one of the things they... They tout, but it's the the performance is is minimal. It it caches and does some intelligent things there and copies files, you know, maybe thirty percent faster than the regular Windows. But the real uh, power behind TerraCopy is it can um, restart a broken down uh, or uh, an interrupted copy. So if you're copying something from one server to another across a, a wonky Wi-Fi connection and you lose it in windows it just starts over again and if it's a uh, a 50 gig file and you're 49.8 gigs in too bad it starts over again TerraCopy simply picks up right back where it left off you don't have to tell it to do anything as soon as the network is restored it picks up where it left off so it's a it's a great tool for that you can copy multiple files across anywhere i mean it in integrates into your 
your uh, your Explorer shell. So when you drag something over, you right click and drag it. You've got copy, move, and then Terra copy is an option there. You click Terra copy, it launches that. It does its things, and, and I'm frequently working uh, in tenuous Wi-Fi environments and moving large files across that. So it's not uncommon for me to uh, to have uh, things fail, and uh, you know I'll start something before I leave work, and I come back the next morning. It got 80% done and crashed, and, and it's no good anymore. TerraCopy, excellent tool for a, a very specific problem, uh, but it's uh, it's better than the Windows built-in copy in almost every way. Awesome. All right, Mark, this next one I had to throw in there. Because you, have it's still, you have to. Yeah, it's still as indispensable as ever. And, and it's still one of the most downloaded episodes of this show. Right, right. And that would be Fog. Uh, so you can check it out at fogproject.org. Uh, you know, Mark, I was I was looking at this, and I'm kind of wondering, uh, maybe we need to catch back up with these guys here soon, but uh, not a whole lot new going on with Fog here the, in this past year. Um, but uh, I guess in case you've been living under a rock or you're just not geeky enough uh, to know, Fog is a computer cloning solution. Uh, so it's it's a great way to distribute uh, images over a network. Um, it makes it amazingly simple. It's uh, very efficient. Uh, it's dead simple to uh, in a like in an education environment, pull up an entire classroom or even a campus, and just with the click of a few buttons, start imaging away. And the only downside is it's very very expensive. Uh, yeah, if, if free is expensive, uh, <laughs> or maybe the cost of uh, the server you have sitting in the corner, uh, because right, Mark, I mean, it doesn't. It, you don't need a big, giant, beefy server to run this, even. No, a big hard drive and a good network connection are all you need. Right, right. So not a, it doesn't use a lot of system resources. Um, it's it's just it's life changing. If if you have never used a tool like this, uh, that's the only way to put it. Or maybe if you run a network of three computers, then maybe. It, it might not make that big of a difference to you, but uh, but if you manage more than just a couple of computers, uh, fog is life changing. Um, it, it totally changed the way that we worked when we first uh, found it and set it up. Uh, cut down on uh, running around with with disks and things. I mean, those days are over, and it was all because of fog. Uh, so, so Mark, that was the only thing I was kind of curious, uh, what your thoughts were, you know, they hadn't really done anything in, in 2012. So I'm, I'm wondering if Chuck and John are, are onto other things or, uh, well, that's a possibility or it may just be that it's a mature product and there's just not a lot to do. You know, when you can make rapid gains, but once you get 98%, that other 2% takes forever. So maybe they're really working hard on that 2% and we're just right. not hearing about it. Right, and that that's that's very possible. So I thought it might be worth uh, trying to touch base with them, but I'm almost afraid to send the email because I'm kind of like, I'm afraid that they're going to say, "Yeah, we're really not working on that anymore." <laughs> <laughs> Although, like you said, it's it's a mature product. I mean, it does what it what it does very well, and uh, you know, it, for them to expand on it, they'd have to go branch off into a whole different direction, like adding classroom management tools on top of it or something right. crazy like that or or maybe uh, deep freeze like tools uh, integrated with it uh, they'd have to really uh, go out there so uh, certainly not complaining uh, and if you haven't checked it out you need to check it out uh, fogproject.org and if you've been counting that is 10 
five tips from me, five tips from Sean, our top 10 list of tools we love. Uh, but I'm going to throw in an 11th one. And it's not a tool, but it's something that, um, you know, at this time of year, uh, when people's hearts and minds are focused on giving, and uh, maybe if you're uh, wanting to, looking for one last place for your uh, tax deductible donation before the end of the year, the American Cancer Society um, is a fantastic organization dedicated to stamping out a terrible scourge upon our, upon the human race. Um, everybody listening to this podcast has been affected by cancer. I can make that statement with confidence. Uh, either yeah. somebody you know, somebody in your family uh, has has died from cancer, has survived cancer, is currently fighting cancer. Uh, let's get this thing knocked out. AmericanCancerSociety.com. Uh, uh, excuse me. Uh, American Cancer Society at Cancer.org. Uh, make your donations. If it's, it's, if it's 25 cents, fine. If it's 25 million, even better. So uh, that's that's my um, charity tip of yeah, the week. Yeah, extra tip, extra tip, yeah. Well, uh, Mark, <laughs> it's funny because I did come up with a tip of the week for this uh, all tip of the week show, I guess. <laughs> but I just came across this one today, and it was kind of cool. I wanted to throw it out there. Uh, the only drawback is, uh, I'm going to say it before I even mention the, the thing, is that it is iOS only. Traitor. Which you traitor. Yeah, I, I really didn't like, but quite honestly, it was so cool. I had to mention it. It's called Cato's Hike. And uh, if for some reason, which I'm not sure why you would be, unless uh, you listen to our show where I spoke about this, uh, Mark, you remember I talked about the uh, Stanford Open Courseware on programming? Absolutely. And uh, what Stanford uses in that course is a, uh, a program called Carol. And uh, Carol actually originated out of, I think, the 1960s, but it's a very, very basic programming language. Uh, and what you do is you manipulate this little robot a around a very simple world, uh, but it, it teaches you basic programming constructs. Uh, Cato's Hike is like Carol the Robot, but updated. It, the, the graphics are really nice. Uh, it's it's just more visually appealing uh so especially now i think even people who are kind of that have that sort of engineer mind still expect to see something that's a little bit more visually pleasing um and cato's hike is that so you can literally from an iphone or an ipad or any uh, ios device uh program and make the little character Kato move around this world and uh, accomplish simple tasks and things and it it's sort of game like so uh, it gives you uh, goals to reach and things like that and uh, all along the way it's it's fun and you maybe don't quite realize that you're you're learning uh, the basics of programming um, so perfect for you know I would say maybe eight to ten years old and up uh so introducing uh you know some young ones to programming or maybe if you yourself have always been interested in programming uh but you know never thought it was something that you could tackle uh this is the perfect starting place something like kato's hike that sounds like a lot of fun yeah yeah it is it's really fun i was playing around with it today and uh 
yeah, it's one of those that I guess if you're geeky enough, you you can really get lost in it. And next thing you know, you've you've wasted an hour of, of your day uh, doing it. But hey, you're learning something. So, so thanks to John for his uh, feedback that got us uh, the topic for this show. Thank you for listening all year long and into the next. Here, if you'd like to uh, submit a show topic or just a comment or just stop by and say howdy, the place to do that is at elementop.com. Uh, Sean and I wish you a happy and prosperous new year, uh, and I hope that you're spending your what little uh, time off you may be getting with your uh, uh, from work. I pray that you're uh, spending it with your family uh, and uh, or at least those uh, whom you love and who love you, because that's what. Uh, that's what the holiday season is all about. Um, be it Christmas or Kwanzaa or Hanukkah, which just ended, uh, or you know any other myriad holidays in between that all happen to be right around the time that the Mayans said we were all going to die in a fire. Um, <laughs> spend it, spend it uh, relaxing with the ones you love, and uh, we'll see you next year. Great show. And with having said that, I'm going to say this is Mark. And Sean, signing off.